0: Hey everybody, welcome to Podcast Maps. My name's Graham Brown. This week, as every week, I'm going to share with you five insights from the world of audio. Very different insights from tech, from business, and from society. This week, we're going to look at what Instagram is doing in audio and what that means to Facebook, TikTok, and Spotify. Then we're going to look at podcast rankings, data analytics. I'll offer some insight into three rankings apps that are available on the market right now, being Chartable, Refonic, and Podstatus. Then we're going to look at an app. App that i've started using recently which isn't actually a podcast app but it is audio journalism it's called curio i'm a big fan i'm now a subscriber of the app and think you should check it out at least to see what's possible in audio And then we'll finish up with two disruptive trends. The first one is Neil Patel, the SEO guru, moving from guest posting, which he has been using as the cornerstone of his SEO content marketing and thought leadership strategy for so long, and now doubling down on podcast guesting. And lastly, we'll look at the podcast 150 Billion dollar opportunity. Everybody talks about podcasts in terms of advertising. It's two billion. It's three billion. But I feel that there is a large untapped and overseen opportunity in podcasts. All this and a lot more coming up in this week's episodes of Podcast Maps. My name is Graham Brown. Enjoy the show. So, this week we learned that Instagram is testing a new audio tab in Explore to improve music discovery. What does that mean? It means bringing audio, social audio, to a new generation of users. And whilst it appears on surface to be of benefit to Instagram in bolstering its offer and making the platform more sticky, it may be another platform who actually benefits from this move. Well, from the details provided by Social Media Examiner, it appears that the Instagram function tracks very much the TikTok Sounds tab, which allows you to find song titles. Now, bear in mind that the biggest music discovery platform on the planet isn't Spotify or Apple, it's YouTube, and it's no secret that YouTube and TikTok are head-to-head competing for the same audiences. And now there's Facebook and Instagram. With new data from App Annie showing that users now spend more time on TikTok than they do on Instagram, Facebook has to come up with a response. Most recently, Facebook announced a deal with Spotify Project Boombox to bring the Spotify player to the Facebook platform. This would allow Facebook users, 2 billion of them in all, to access Spotify's audio catalog, and this move to extend audio into Instagram would seem, on the face of it, a real win for both Facebook and Spotify. But is it really? One of the risks I've talked about before on podcast maps is exactly what Spotify is hoping to become. My bet, my long conviction on where Spotify is heading, based on the fact that it's doubling down on data and advertising, and even though it is doing subscription and micropayments, that really is a hedge against Apple. The reality is that Spotify will become the Google of sound. That means better analytics, better cataloging of audio, and importantly, the final frontier of audio being the spoken word. According to the EAR EAR project out of Stanford University, we human beings spend 40% of our waking time in some form of verbal communication. That's a lot more than we use on social media. So what that means is that audio search, searchable audio, meaning the content of everything you talked about is a vast untapped store of data. Yes, and as much as this will be useful to store all that information, information for your own convenience, there are obviously the nefarious interests that paint a dystopian future of what this could actually be used for. Just like that Black Mirror episode where the suspect is stopped at customs and then ordered to download all their conversations from the last 24 hours. There is a lot of data out there currently which is not being captured by governments and tech giants. And if there's one thing we've learned from tech giants is that where there is information about who we are, what we care about, and who we talk to, there is money. What appears at first to be a convenient tie-up distributing audio to Instagram has very much a bigger piece to play which ultimately is not yet realized in the world of data now consider this back in 2000 yahoo was the default search engine of choice for many in the world yahoo was powered by ink but in 2000 yahoo decided it was going to dump ink for a more effective algorithm and that algorithm was a small startup called google and from 2001 onwards all yahoo was powered by google the distribution deal that gave ultimately Google access to millions of data sets on users, how they use search, what they searched for, and how to improve the experience. And it's only when Yahoo executives realized in 2004, the racket, their error of judgment in partnering with Google, that they decided to dump the search engine. But by that point, it was too late. Google had all the data it needed to ultimately disrupt and own the search market. Now, obviously, back in 2000, Google wasn't the player that it is today. It didn't have pay per click, it didn't have Google AdWords, and it was still very much a niche player. And if you look at how this is playing out today, it seems to me at least deja vu. By partnering with Spotify, Facebook may feel that it's getting a better content catalogue in the same way that Google was able to provide a better experience for Yahoo users back in the day. But we haven't seen Spotify's final form yet. Spotify, unlike Facebook from the early days, was based around data. And the Spotify of tomorrow will not look anything like the Spotify of today. Bringing music to Instagram will give Spotify access ultimately to billions of data sets. Now, Facebook is a lot smarter than Yahoo, let's face it. But back in 2000, in the eyes of the tech industry, Yahoo were the smartest guys in the room. When it comes to audio and data it's difficult and because the data is difficult discovery is difficult and that's a problem but my prediction is if we follow history somebody will change that for the better in the world of audio we don't have the equivalent of google analytics if you look at the analytics platforms i.e the data you get from spotify and apple about the performance of your podcast it's pretty rudimentary a lot of people clients hosts ask why And my answer to that is, well, it's their data, not yours. In the same way on Facebook, Facebook doesn't give you a lot of data about your posts, gives you some rudimentary data about engagements and likes, but nothing more than that, nothing that is useful or actionable. Google, however, has a vested interest in democratizing the data because it wants to encourage advertisers to compare traffic between sites and to benchmark performance. Unlike Facebook, Google doesn't host the content that it's tracking. So when it comes to data for podcasts, we're not there yet. Recently, there's been three apps that have appeared on the market which aim to address the audio data problem, all of them focusing on platform rankings. These are Riphonic, chartable, and pod status. Each of these platforms has a paid offer and each of them has a different take on how to track the rankings of your podcast on Apple and Spotify. Chartable is obviously the most well known. It does a good job of tracking your podcast rankings. However, it requires the user still to do a lot of work. I can't, for example, compare two podcasts on one chart. And let's say I wanted to show that chart to a client or a podcast host, I would actually have to physically do a screenshot and then paste it into a presentation. What I like about Chartable is the actual public charts that show the position of your podcast day on day. These are useful for clients. Comms leaders like to see their relative position within a category, thought leadership amongst their peers. But again, Chartable doesn't offer it in any reusable or shareable way. If Chartable were, for example, to offer those charts and make them shareable, allow people to talk about their product and to brag about the positions and the changes in their chart positions. With a few simple tweaks, they could get podcast hosts coming back day in, day out and driving traffic to check out the charts. Maybe it's because I'm slightly older. I have to say I'm nearly 50 years old, but I remember the days when on Sunday afternoon, me, my friends would glue our ears to the radio and listen to the chart countdown. The charts became a thing. People never asked how many record sales did that album or that single have. We didn't care. All we cared about was, what was number one? How was my band doing? And then the next day at school or at college, we would talk about the charts. So when I look at refonic and Chartable and Podstatus, the missing element to all of these platforms is they don't allow or they don't make it easy for the users to talk about it. Now, refonic has recently come across my radar. And I like this app because, again, it provides you with chart rankings. It doesn't provide them in any particularly visually appealing way. And it tries some different applications like there is an SEO function in there, but it doesn't seem to produce any kind of meaningful data. What I do like about it, Rephonic is it gives you rough estimates of audience sizes. Now, in some cases where I know the exact audience sizes of those podcasts, the data is pretty accurate. In other cases, it's way off by a factor of 10X, but that's not RePhonic's fault. That's simply because there is no Google Analytics of podcasts, so what people say are their numbers, we have to take for granted. As far as presenting the data in a human-readable format, let's say something a communications leader inside a corporate would be interested in, Podstatus does the best. Here you can at least see Comparative Analytics. Now, a caveat to all of this, we actually built a podcast analytics platform. We decided that we wanted to build the app as if a communications leader would actually use it. Somebody in a corporate would actually say, how is my podcast doing? But we decided into the journey, and this podcast platform was called Podminer, that actually this was a lot of work. In fact, it was too hard for us. And we didn't have the resources and the bandwidth within our agency to focus purely on building analytics apps. So after a year of funding and building the app, we put the project on hold. But I very much feel for the guys building these apps, Pod Podstatus and Chartable, just how difficult that is to make it so simple. And as way of a reference point, Google Analytics was built by one of the biggest companies in history. So what of the future? Where are we going? In one of the recent open mic sessions for my podcast Accelerator Mastermind, which is a group of podcast hosts and producers who come together on a regular basis to discuss this kind of thing, we all concluded that we're interesting in analytics apps, in particularly podcast rankings. But really, in the general terms of development, we're way back in 1998, 1999 in internet terms. It's still early days. My prediction is that Spotify will change it. Spotify will become the Google of sound. And by virtue of that, Spotify in time will become the modern version of that Sunday afternoon radio countdown. Let's face it, when it comes to discovery in audio and podcasting particularly, it sucks. And we need somebody to change it. One app I've been particularly fond of lately is Curio. Now, Curio describes itself as narrated journalism, and it's not cheap, it's a hundred bucks a year. However, the time saved in not having to listen to crap in the world of audio makes it, for me, at least, worth the money. And while I really enjoy the Curio app, I don't like the way that they're talking about why people consume it on their website. They point to research done on why people consume audio because of multitasking and dead time. So, who are Curio? Curio, a London-based app founded by Govind Balakrishnan, has raised around $11 million from investors. Much of that has gone towards acquiring the content and getting voice actors to read through journalism in a meaningful and authentic way. I hate those robo-read articles which promise that they can turn your content into voice. But whilst it may be interesting as a one-off, as an ongoing basis, it's just not engaging. What I enjoyed about Curio is the fact that it's both a summary and it's a human read. Take, for example, the 11-minute read from the MIT Technology Review entitled The Woman Who Will Decide What Emoji We Get To Use. It's a short summary of the life and work of Unicode head Jennifer Daniel, who ultimately decides, yes, you guessed it, which emojis go into your iPhone or your keyboard. Or the Wall Street Journal 14-minute summary of the three friends and the fortune that got away. The three friends that invested and lost thousands of dollars on the Robinhood app. And then there is the 12-minute short from The Idler edited by Tom Hodgkinson entitled simply Social Media is a Scam. You know, whenever I talk to people about podcasts or audio in general, one of the things they always point to is multitasking. Now, I have an issue with this, and that is I remember back in the day when people talked about mobile entertainment as a way of killing dead time. You're sitting at the bus stop, you're commuting on the mass transit, mobile phones filled the gaps. However, if we build content, if we create apps that simply fill the gaps, all we're competing with is boredom. Sure, I listen to Curio when I'm out walking by the reservoir here in Singapore on a beautiful sunny afternoon taking my lunch break. However, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but if we are creating content simply to compete with boredom, then surely we're setting our bar too low. The Washington Post, The Economist, The Wall Street Journal, these are great publications and they produce quality content. And the one thing that you get when talking to journalists who've been in the game long enough is the craft, the craft of telling human stories about packaging information and making it relevant to the everyday reader. I recently read The Great War for Civilization, The Conquest of the Middle East by Robert Fisk, an Irish journalism who lives in Beirut. Now, like you, I'm a pretty busy person. I'm running a podcast agency servicing clients globally. So the idea of having a lot of dead time, especially when I'm not commuting these days in the pandemic world of work from home, is a rather alien concept. But that book by Robert Fisk, it's 1,107 pages long, and I read it over a period of weeks, cover to cover. Not because I had a lot of dead time, but because of the quality of the content, the vividness, the insight, the storytelling, and the real empathy for the events that took place. It's not for everybody, I have to admit. There is a generation who are very much tuned to and enjoying what goes on on TikTok. But not me. And while we may not be the majority, there are plenty of people like us. YouTube, more or less, is free. However, people are willing to pay for quality content on Netflix. Radio and audio streaming is free. However, people are willing to pay for quality content on Spotify. And pretty much all the news out there is available as retweets or bastardized versions of Facebook posts. But people will pay for quality Because ultimately, quality is about saving time, not wasting it. I believe there is a big enough market for quality content, for quality storytelling, and people will pay. And people will pay for the audio versions of it, like on apps like Cureo. However, the big caveat here is we have to stop talking about it in the context of multitasking and dead time. People will pay for quality content because ultimately it's quality, not that they don't have anything better to do. this week the iab or the internet advertising bureau released a report saying that podcast ad revenue in the us alone will reach two billion dollars by 2023 the iab predicts that the market is growing about 20 percent year on year crossing a billion dollars in 2021 now when we talk about podcasts today it's always in the context of the total addressable market of advertising we see figures such as 1 billion or 2 billion. At times, there was the podcast advertising market globally valued about $1 billion. And obviously, America makes up a large percentage of that. But As my own data shows that podcast advertising and podcasting in general is shifting from west to east. Look at the numbers. By 2030, two thirds of the world's middle class will be living in Asia. Asia does more business with itself than it does with the rest of the world. In fact, if you take just the middle classes in Asia by 2030, they'll be worth twice as much as the US economy alone. So what does that mean for podcasting? Well, if you look at the latest data, that the biggest market in the world is actually Asia. If you go to podcastmaps.com, you'll see the latest data there. And it says that in 2021, we'll cross 1 billion podcast listeners every week globally, of which nearly 60% are in the Asia Pacific Rim. China and India make up a big Portion of that 1 billion. India is perhaps the interesting one to watch. It has 100 million active podcast listeners every week. But should we only ever think about podcasts in terms of advertising? This is where many people are, to use a George Bushism, misunderestimating the podcast market. You see, even if the podcast advertising market is worth $2 billion, the PR market is worth $150 billion dollars a year annually. You see, there was a time in marketing when it was all about big ideas from those creative agency madmen who by virtue of a clever jingle, a logo or a campaign could transform a product. And then along came digital and changed everything. 61% of the US advertising market is owned by Facebook and Google. Communications, meaning public relations and events have yet to experience its own reformation. Everybody's talking about digital transformation, but what nobody's seeing is how podcasting will transform communications. Because if the fundamentals of PR are thought leadership and writing press releases and positioning their clients on guest slots, on media, and importantly, other podcasts, well, it just appears to me that PR agencies might face the same kind of disruption that ad agencies faced 20 years ago. Now, it's laughable that companies are still paying for press releases. Nobody reads them. They go into spam email folders. Take a look at your spam folder on Gmail and you'll see that half of it will start with square brackets media release. But so many companies operate out of the base of fear. 20 years ago, it wouldn't be unusual to hear a marketing manager say or protest, I'll never get fired for booking a TV campaign. And in a world where many people are more interested in doing that, what's familiar but broken than what's unfamiliar and effective, we will still see large companies hire public relations agencies. And we'll still see those PR agencies hire interns and junior execs to write your press releases. And the really laughable part is that the amount of money that they spend on writing press releases, they could create their own content. And the good thing is, is the most progressive brands already understand that Tesla doesn't have a PR agency. Now, I'm a podcast host. My email inbox fills up with PR I've signed up for those podcasting matching platforms. I think Matchmaker and Podmatch are great platforms for you to find podcaster guests on and also guests for your podcast. And if you don't want to do it yourself, we have a made for you service, Podcast Guesting Pro. But whatever you do, please don't hire a PR agency to do this for you. I'll tell you why. Last week, I got an email from a PR agency saying, Dear Graham. I'm really enjoying listening to your podcast. I have a great guest to suggest to you. He is an expert in blockchain. Insert pitch. I know you two are going to have a great conversation together. Signed PR agency executive. Now the thing is, I don't mind pitches. If you're a media owner or you're an investor, you're used to getting pitches. It's a big part of our business. We need quality pitches. But the key here is quality. Quality. The blockchain client in question is paying for a PR agency to send spam. They haven't done anything to understand who I am and who, importantly, my audience is. Because they didn't listen to the podcast, even though she said she did. And importantly, I never talk about blockchain. So there is a large percentage of that $150 billion going to these kind of activities, which I believe can be done so much better by people inside the industry. I've guested on hundreds of podcasts and I've heard hundreds and hundreds more pitches from people to me. My tip to anybody here who wants to guest on a podcast or a brand who's thinking about hiring a PR agency is think twice about who is the audience and what is their pain point that I'm addressing by being on this podcast. Now, in the digital transformation of marketing that has occurred over the last 20 years, we still have creative agencies. We still have the Leo Burnett's and the Ogilvies. They have their role and they have their place. But the vast majority of decisions and budgets are not going to them. And that's why my conviction is that when it comes to the similar digital transformation of communications, we will see budgets shift from traditional PR activities, press releases, events media. Two, creating your own media and guesting on podcasts in a meaningful way. In the early 2000s when advertising or traditional advertising was clamoring for the attention of the customer, we saw the emergence of rather desperate measures to stay relevant. Advertising on toilet paper was a thing. Then there was the Budweiser, what's up, campaign, which got all the eyeballs, but very little growth in market share long term. And we're seeing a similar pattern of desperation appear in the world of public relations in the absence of conferences and exhibitions and summits that agencies can place clients as guest speakers on. In the context of press releases that received almost zero click-throughs according to latest research, old-fashioned communication agencies are resorting to spamming podcast hosts in a way to stay relevant. But money always follows value. In time, clients will realize there are alternatives. And if the pandemic has taught us one thing, it's that offices, travel conferences, factors of business which seem so immutable, are now options. We can successfully grow businesses without them. And that is the opportunity for podcasts. Because if we're spending $150 billion on old-fashioned communications, we may too ask the same question of public relations. Neil Patel knows a few things about thought leadership. He's that guy that does that thing, and that thing is SEO in a fiercely competitive landscape. He, Neil Patel, is the one that is top of mind. Now, for the longest time, Neil Patel built his SEO strategy around guest posting. He was a fierce advocate of getting your thought leadership content onto other people's blogs, purely because other people's blogs have ready-made audiences. But recently, he's changed strategy, evidenced by his own post. Forget guest posting. Here's why guest podcasting is king. Podcasts are fantastic platforms to develop thought leadership content. But one of the most overlooked aspects of podcast is how they actually develop thought leaders. Now, I'm not going to sell you on the benefits of podcasting because this is an audio podcast and I guess you already get it. But perhaps it's worth thinking for a minute about why it's better than guest posting. And much of that lies in what's happening to the world of Internet and web and SEO. Now, there was a time when you could create a website and with the right backlink strategy and a few guest posts, you could choose your target keywords and within several months, you could rank on page one of Google. But thanks to Neil Patel, the secret is out. It's very hard and almost impossible in some cases to rank on page one for keywords that have any given commercial value. Sure, you might rank on a lower page of Google, but as they say in the world of SEO, the best place to bury a dead body these days is in page two of Google search results. It's getting harder. An SEO friend recently told me that one of the strategies that he's advising clients is not to do this organically. If you're starting a website, a business or blog or simply improving your online content strategy, it's a lot easier and takes less time to buy a website that already has the traffic you're looking for than try on your own to build from scratch. So if you're in the thought leadership space, what do you do? Enter guest podcasting. Now, I have a podcast agency, so I'm well aware of the value of podcasting for thought leaders. And it's something I've done myself through podcasts like Asia Tech Podcast, where I published over 500 episodes and got in front of important business decision makers and got my content out there. However, I've also found through my journey in podcasting that starting a podcast, especially for somebody who's busy growing a business, is hard work. Less so the production and editing of the podcast, but just that mind space that podcasting takes up. Who am I going to talk to next? When am I going to talk to them? And what am I going to talk about? Now, for most of us, these appear to be, on the face of it, at least first world problems. But if you're in the business of growing a business, then these problems are real. Barack Obama, when he was President of the United States, was once asked by a journalist why he ate, religiously, two boiled eggs every morning for breakfast. To which he answered, I make thousands of important decisions every single day. One of which is, do I press that red button? Now, as your president, the last thing you want me doing is wasting my decision energy on what I'm going to have for breakfast. CEOs, corporate heads, and thought leaders, we all experience it. And that it is decision fatigue. It's real, especially if you are that A-type personality like so many of my entrepreneur friends. You know, the one that gets into a project like a dog hanging onto a bone. It's hard then to switch out of that mode of thought and start thinking about with the other side of the brain, who do I talk to next? So in my journey of helping people podcast, What I found was that for every one person that actually started a podcast, there were 10, maybe more people who were interested in podcasts and believed in the power of podcasting to share their thought leadership content. Sometimes a thought leader, a CEO, a founder would come to me and say they wanted to start a podcast, but there was a big gap between them feeling passionate about podcasts and actually creating the first episode. So I started looking at this problem and thought, what could I do? Do to help these startup founders, thought leaders and entrepreneurs leverage the power of the podcast without actually having to take on all the work of doing a podcast themselves. And that not necessarily is the production work, but it's all of that decision energy that gets expended in creating something, especially if you are an entrepreneur, then you are spending your waking hours building and creating your business. That means you don't have a lot left over to create something else being a podcast series. So that's why I started only recently Podcast Guesting Pro. I wanted to trial, and wanted to validate a podcast guest booking agency, which works on the premise that there are a lot of people out there that listen to podcasts and understand the power of communicating in an authentic and engaging and importantly human way to ready-made audiences. However, there is a big gap between where they are now and having their own series. What if I could get those thought leaders on other people's podcasts, people who are already in the game, who already have built audiences, and they could turn up, tell their stories, have those conversations, create those connections, and then get on and build their business. Now, I had been doing guest podcasting both myself and for my clients for many years, but only as an add-on service to the podcast we already do for them. Often these were favors. Somebody needed a guest speaker about innovation or digital transformation. I knew the right person. And then when I read Neil Patel's article, the penny dropped. Wow, this could actually be a business. And the timing was right. According to different sources, there are between 2.3 and 2.8 million podcasts in the world today. Years ago, there wouldn't have been enough podcast in your specific niche. Well, let's put that to the test. Let's say, for example, that your niche is supply chain using the right tools, and I use tools like Chartable and riffonic, which I'll talk about in another episode. You can search for podcast by... Relevance. You can search by listenership and activity. So let's narrow that down. I am a thought leader in supply chain. Years ago, I wouldn't have had enough real estate to get my thought leadership content out onto. But look at it today. I'm going to read out to you just a handful of podcasts in this space: Supply Chain Podcast, Supply Chain Revolution, Supply Chain Next, Supply Chain is Boring. Let's talk Supply Chain. The Supply Chain Podcast, Leaders in Supply Chain Latin America, Supply Chain Magazine magazine. Now, the important thing about all of these is two factors. One, they have, according to Rufonic, at least 2,000 listeners per episode. That's an estimate, by the way. But if it says, for example, listeners 3,200 to 4,800 estimate, you know that that is not a small podcast. And the second factor for narrowing down your target audience is how active is this podcast? More than 50% of podcasts in the world have not published the last 45 days. Every single one that I've given you today from a simple search that took me five minutes has published in the last 45 days. Now, the benefits of podcast guesting should be apparent. You get access to ready-made audiences without any of the heavy lifting. But what I've found and what I want to share with you are three distinct benefits that I feel people overlook in podcast guesting. One, content. Now, as much as it's fun to have your own podcast and to interview guests, the problem is that the guest does much of the talking. So from a logistical standpoint, if you want to get that snippet of that key talking point to build your thought leadership, doesn't really work unless that guest is a trophy guest that is going to boost your brand by the fact that you have access to them. Most guests don't do anything for your personal brand. Few of them actually share the content to their networks in a meaningful way. And if you've done any amount of podcasting in time, you'll find that you know more than most of your guests about the subject that your audience wants to hear about. But let's flip that on its head. Let's put it in a position where the interviewer is interviewing you. You're the guest. You're the expert. You're the experienced one. You're the one who's offering your ideas and your stories. And when i work with clients on podcast guesting Pro, one of the things that i encourage them to do which many people forget is to actually record the video and the audio of the interview themselves too often we wait for the host to publish the podcast and often that may take days weeks or even months in some cases with popular podcasts but let's say you do the podcast by a zoom interview If you ask the host to give you permission to record simply by setting you as the co-host or giving you recording permissions on the Zoom app, you can take the video away, you can create your own snippets, and you can push that out on social media without having to wait for a gap in the host's publishing schedule think about that. If you're regularly podcast guesting, you now have a ready pipeline of content that is coming out from your guest speaking, that it looks different with different hosts and different angles where you're not having to work to make decisions about what am I going to talk about next. Two, one of the key benefits of podcast guesting is connections. Everybody that you guest on a podcast with becomes a connection. You create something together. This is no ordinary coffee meeting. How many coffee meetings have you ever had in your business life? Thousands, potentially. Name every single person that you ever met. That's going to be pretty hard. And even if you do remember their names, you probably forget what you talked about. However, if you do a podcast together, that lasts forever. You take that relationship to the next level, that host becomes a fan, an advocate. They're the one that reaches out to you about that thing that you do because somebody in their network is interested in that service. And that conversation also lasts forever on the internet. One of the fantastic things about podcast guesting is s-e-o now i was talking to todd the founder of blueberry for my age of audio project age of audio is an expert interview series book about the golden age of audio the second golden age of audio in the 2020s like why is audio on the rise in a time when often people think that this is the world of digital and machine and algorithms now todd's been in podcasting for longer than there was podcasting he started blooper in 2005 long before the iphone and even the idea of rss was around and he told me in the age of audio interview that a lot of people obsess about should i get discovered on spotify or should i get discovered on apple but by far and away the most important discovery platform for podcasts today is google web search And going back to Neil Patel, you could do this through a blog or through your website, but it may take a lifetime to get there. And even as Patel said himself, that SEO for podcasts is 1,400 times less competitive than web. And lastly, one of the big unseen benefits of podcast guesting is agile storytelling. Steve Jobs famously talked about understanding life through joining the dots. But many of you, like myself included, we entrepreneurs, we creatives, spend a life which has many disparate chapters and events. How do you make sense of all of that? I graduated with an AI degree. I set up a mobile communications research company. I traveled the world for four years with my family. And now I have a podcast agency. Doesn't make sense on the face of it. But it does when you start agile storytelling. And agile in very much the same way as software software development means lean and iterative. It means starting with a Base and constantly refining by validation. In the context of podcasting and storytelling, validating your story means going out on stage, and whether that stage is a live show as a stand up comedian or on the microphone as a podcast guest, and facing the moment of truth. Because only when you face the moment of truth, meaning when you have to tell your story. To somebody else, do you, as a storyteller, get better at your craft? In The Seven Day Startup, a book by Dan Norris, there's a great line which says there's a big difference between entrepreneurs and wantrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs do what it takes to get the job done, to grow the business, to face the moment of truth. Wantrepreneurs, by contrast, do what's comfortable, even if that keeps them busy. Think about this from a startup standpoint. If you're a startup founder, the only way you can get valuable feedback and validation for your product and your idea is to ask somebody to open their wallet and pay for it. Even if it costs $1, there are so many people out there that will tell you they're interested in their product or it's a great idea or you get likes or you get email signups to your newsletter. However, Only when the money is on the line do you get validation. Until that point, it's all academic. And it's the same with storytelling. Only when you have to face rejection for telling your story in public do you get better. But you could spend thousands of hours in a lifetime with social media shares and posting and not once face the moment of truth. And I tell you, as somebody who has spent years teaching English in Japan in the 90s, I learned that many students could read from the textbook. They could understand very basic English, but they were completely (laughs) incapable, despite having six to ten years of school lessons, speaking or holding a conversation in English. Why? Because they never once faced the moment of truth. They never once had to have a real live conversation with somebody else in English and face rejection. I'm not talking about speaking to their classmates. I'm talking about walking into a store or ordering something in a restaurant and facing humiliation and rejection. Because only then, by mastering that fear, do we get better better and create more robust stories. And that robustness comes from agile storytelling. Meaning you're constantly refining like a comedian, like a musician on stage. Kevin Hart, the comedian, who is one of the world's most successful comedian in terms of income, has an agile approach to storytelling. He breaks down his comedy into two year cycles. Year one, he's spends playing the dive bars. These are the bars with 10 people. It's dark, it's dingy, and they're drunk. These are the hecklers, the ones that aren't really interested in what he's got to say. He will do that for a year in low-key, unknown, small clubs, so he can get direct feedback. He can tell a joke, he can practice a skit, rehearse a scene, and see, looking in the eyes of that audience member, who's sitting two meters away from him, talking to her friend, half-drunk, their reaction that time and he'll dare to be vulnerable he'll put himself out there with all his fame and celebrity status he could easily live a comfortable air-conditioned bubble life but no he's out there practicing getting the feedback getting heckled taking the data away and then after every gig thinking about how to improve those scenes maybe cutting a few scenes that didn't work And then after a year of practice, he'll roll up this data and in year two, he'll take that to the stadiums. He'll take that to the Netflix specials because he knows when he plays those big gigs, he's practiced, he's rehearsed hundreds of times. And that's why I speak on other people's podcasts for exactly the same reason. I could be very selective, but I take every opportunity because every opportunity in my training phase is a moment of truth. I can practice the scene about me graduating with an artificial intelligence degree in 1995, which was very long ago. In fact, it was 25 years ago or last century. Or I could practice the scene about the moment that me, my wife and my six year old boy had packed all our stuff into three suitcases and we were heading out, departing on an adventure to travel the world, which ultimately lasted four years. Now, these stories are effectively skits or scenes in the same way that Kevin Hart would practice a routine. They may bomb, they may fail to engage, or they may need a little bit of tweaking. But the point is, you've got to do it in an agile way. And if you want to get better, you have to face the moment of truth. Think about it this way. The average human being has two legs. He or she spends most of the days walking around supported by those legs. So why isn't after years and years of using those legs, the leg muscles aren't gigantic? Because muscles only grow when they face their own moment of truth, the resistance, failure point. And you too could spend a lifetime just like those Japanese students, still sharing stuff on social media or talking to your colleagues about what you do in your story, but you'll never face a failure point, a moment of truth that allows you to, like the muscle, grow. So if you're interested in upskilling as a thought leader, what better way to do this than in controlled failure of a podcast? When corporates pay me to host podcasts or to present podcasts or to run training sessions for their company, by that point, I'm not using their budget to bankroll my education. So if you have a very colorful and interesting and varied pathway in life, here is a fantastic opportunity in Steve Jobs style to join the dots. As the Danish philosopher Søren Kokogaard said, we live life moving forwards, but we only make sense of it looking backwards. Hi, this is Graham. Thanks for listening to this episode of Podcast Maps, which is all about audience growth. And Podcast Maps is about that. How do I grow an audience? What works? What doesn't work? Because... The industry is changing so fast. It isn't just COVID, which has changed everything about how we communicate in business, but it's also the algorithms that keep constantly changing and the fact that there are 2 million podcasts in the market today and a billion listeners listening to podcasts every week. It's happening very fast. And to stay up to date, I created Podcast Maps. So signing off, I'm gonna give you some resources that you can download, get hold of, read, that can help you grow your podcast audience. And if you like Podcast Maps on Spotify or Apple, follow and subscribe, because that helps me understand what kind of content people like and what I should be producing more of. So here comes the content. Thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode. To get everything that I've talked about today, including the free guides, go to my new website, www.podcastmaps.com.